Hi, welcome to the Frequency IoT Podcast. I'm Stephen, coming from Greenville, South Carolina this morning. And where are you at today, Brian? Hello, this is um, Brian Huey. I'm calling in from Studio 515 in the Midwest. Frozen Midwest, I might, might add. It, I think it's cold everywhere, Brian. Well, you know, uh, our listeners will have to excuse the rust. We had to take a couple weeks off. Things like holidays and work kind of got in the way. But uh, certainly, Brian and I look to um, get back to our regular schedule programming here. But um, <clears throat> definitely wanted to kick off today with a review of some of the things that Brian and I uh, made notice of at CES out in Las Vegas, which was almost week and a half, almost two weeks ago. So I know we, we tackled a couple of different topics. Wanted to see if you wanted to start, Brian. I know you, you took a look at a lot of the uh, smart cities and utilities announcements there. So um, what did you see that you thought was pretty interesting? Well, I, I would say uh, um, one, of the, one of the prominent things that, that has come out of CES are the number of connected devices and applications that continue to grow. And um, uh, at least from a 5G perspective, because, um, you know, the, tr- the show was focused on uh, 5G-enabled applications, um, we really start to see, and we've been talking about this in the previous podcast, the cost of of uh, connectivity and uh, um, uh, cellular modems in different devices continues to drop. And we're seeing uh, LTE CAT-M devices, NB-IoT devices being built into everyday applications like wall plugs, uh, smoke detectors, um, uh, typical in-home devices that uh, that uh, could be connected to a utility network or a, a smart grid network or a smart city network. Um, you know, there's been a variety of parking sensors and autonomous vehicle devices that continue to to rise up, um, um, you know, through, through different innovators. Um, but, you know, I think that the major trend, at least, that I see from the IoT side is uh, – the cost for connectivity continues to drop. Like, I'll give you an example. One of the ones that really caught my eye, um, for those that know me, I'm a big Raspberry Pi fan. And um, you could get a Raspberry Pi 3 for like 35 bucks. Well, there's a, a company, uh, I think it was Orange, uh, Orange Pi 3, just came out with a $30 version that's uh, got a quad-core 1.8 gigahertz processor, 8 meg of flash, plus a mini PCIe slot uh, for 30 bucks. So, you know, you think about what you could do with that kind of device, uh, especially with a mini PCIe, that means you can put a uh, cellular modem on it, um, or you could use the hat connector and use somebody else's, like a 6-fab uh, board, and, um, and now you can uh, connect something with, a, with quite a bit of processing power for less than 100 bucks. Um, so, you know, that's the biggest, from my perspective, that um, taking those types of computing platforms and working those into lights, uh, video cameras, um, uh, you know, gunshot triangulation like ShotSpotter, um, um, even uh, traffic flow measurement, uh, pedestrian type sensors, all of that, um, all of those applications continue to have costs shaved out of the uh 
the value that's being pr provided back to the city. So that's what I found pretty amazing. And, you know, with the seven inches of snow that we got on the ground and another five on the way, I'm thinking about bu building my autonomous uh, Raspberry Pi-enabled snowblower. <laughs> Start working on that. Uh, yeah, and it would probably you probably get less complaints from the kids about having to do work outside. That would work. But, uh, you know, one of the <clears throat> one of the topics that was – whether you know, at the end of the day, right? It's still the consumer electronics show, right? Um, although it does start to look like a um, an auto show a little bit, if you if you looked at some of the announcements, you know, 5G was certainly a, a, a big buildup and a featured topic at CES, and <clears throat> I think we could probably spend three hours talking about what 5G is, right? You know, so. You know, I think the important part in the IoT world is, you know, we're going to see a lot of advertising, a lot of talk, a lot of media around 5G and its speed, <clears throat> which in certain applications is great, right? But in the IoT world, right, the near zero time latency is really what um, the buzz is about, right? Because we're going to start to be enable... Um, different technologies that have been a roadblock today, especially from a wireless perspective, right? There's still a lot of IoT solutions that have lived inside um, on Wi-Fi or have just not been able to be fully robust because of some of the speed and latency type issues that you just inherently see with the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, at, with 5G certainly being a topic, right? Um, it, it looked a lot like an auto show to me. I mean, there were tons of car manufacturers that were heading up speaking events, um, certainly connected vehicles, right? So, you know, leaving the world where you've got OnStar or different things like that, um, or, you know, Android Auto or CarPlay from a connected standpoint and really starting to push the infotainment type side of what they want a connected car to truly be, you know, was certainly on hand from a consumer standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, yep. you know, the, the autonomy piece, right? So finally getting to where you're not um, going to rely quite as much on the edge, right? <clears throat> but more importantly, it's starting to really um, make those moves from DSRC to possibly some really good um, cellular V to X testing um, from a broadcast layer, you know, on 5G, I think is going to be pretty exciting. So I think, I think, 5G gets all the buzz because, hey, your phone's going to be super fast. But um, maybe maybe it's just not me. My phone seems to be fast enough. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, from our from our perspective, right, we're, we're in the IoT world. And, you know, you, you and I had shared an article about the confusion around 5G and um, how there's, uh, there's a lot of buzz around 5G, and it's typically associated with phones. And I think the author of the article was saying that it's um, it's too confusing for the average person to understand. And you know, I I, I agree with the author, um, but you know, that's the job of the carriers, right? Is to simplify it. And I think we're seeing those first uh, incarnations of that with uh, with logos being placed on phones and uh, the new D-Link router being announced which is a 5g router you know for your home as well as uh the hotspot you know those are all the first inclinations but the real power of 5g 
at least from my perspective, you know, it's kind of broken down into a few areas. There's either, uh, um, you know, license-assisted access, which, you know, allows your phone to connect over to an authenticated Wi-Fi hotspot and give you faster speeds when you're on the go, right? That's mobile. But uh, I don't know about you, but I really don't. Um, it's not like I'm doing speed tests all the time on my phone. Um, um, you know, as long as YouTube works and I get the applications and I'm getting my email and I'm able to respond to people fa- fairly quickly, that's what matters to me as a mobile subscriber. But, uh, you know, the, the second, um, or sub lane of 5G is fixed wireless, right? So that's where we see um, Acme Red and uh, Acme Blue talk about fixed wireless, right? They're 27 gigahertz or 35 gigahertz and driving a broadband alternative into the home. Um, but then, um, you know, what you're talking about, Steve, you know, the third third item would be V2X, right? That is going to be critical for for vehicle-to-vehicle communication, vehicle-to-smart city infrastructure communication, uh, efficiency, traffic routing, um, um, even tolls, right? All of this can be accomplished through that substandard of, of 5G. But then the fourth, the, the one that I... Um, I care about just as much as the third, you know, the smart city uh, communication. But the fourth is the enhancements to NB-IoT and uh, LTE M1, M2, right? Those substandards where you start connecting devices that can have 15 to 20-year battery lives in link budgets of almost 150 dB. Right. Why would you even look at doing private networks, uh, unlicensed networks when you can get that from an LTE network? And that's, I think that's really going to, um, lead to a lot of activity for the, the type of work that we're in. I mean, my goodness, you know, open my opening statement of 30 bucks for a high powered Raspberry Pi. What could you do with a LTE M2 chip or NBIOT2 chip that's seven, sub seven dollars? You know, sub five dollars. And that quite a bit that can be connected. And you're making an excellent transition into the things that we saw this week for me. So um, I was in Kansas City last week and I got to play around with a little Raspberry Pi device connected to um, not only M1, but also connected to a narrowband network with a uh, it's not the new device you're talking about. Right. So we were actually using industrial USB connectivity but um getting to see the um the 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 changes between a nb network right so software defined Mm -hmm. versus um, m1 network um and just thinking of you know i'm holding you know basically a raspberry pi which yes it was powered but outside of the industrial usb it's tiny, right? You can put this right. in anything. You can build any type of solution that's out there, whether you build it on Raspbian or whether you're using, you know, the Windows IoT platform, right? There's all that's sorts right. of yeah. things that you can do with that device. So um, I, you would have liked to have been there with me. But it, it was really fun. You know, that was kind of the coolest thing I saw last week, and it was a good transition from you. Um, what, what did you bump into last week that you thought was pretty interesting? Well, last week was uh, a bit of a uh, um, 
I would say it was a bit of an administrative week for me. So uh, there's been quite a bit of activity in my work life. And, uh, uh, you know, as far as IoT stuff, it's been getting up to speed with some new features in uh, in uh, networks that are going to be available to smart cities and utility applications. But, you know, what I did cross um, as I was going into this, um, as I was taking on some of those tasks, um, you know, relooking at, at utilities and the smart grid um, uh, industry trends, something uh, really, really um, came across. First, there are quite a bit of renewable energy uh, initiatives that have been launched at the state level. So I know, uh, you know, at the at the federal level, there's um, control of Congress, and uh, the current administration um, may tend to take a different view of renewable standards. But a lot of the activity is happening at the state level. And so um, the, there's a, f a few things that I think are, are pretty key that's going to drive how we consume energy uh, in the future. And the most important thing that that I thought was interesting is that the cost per megawatt hour for renewables, so that solar and storage, has reached the same cost level as uh, natural gas peaking plants which is huge because the utility industry for the last several years instead of build, building coal-fired plants because you know the the issues that come along with not just uh the the emissions but it's also the disposal of the coal ash um and the slurry is uh you know utilities have been building these natural uh gas peaking plants uh, now, when with the cost of renewables of solar plus storage has has reached similar cost per megawatt hours, um, in order to have a smoothly operating grid, that's going to drive the need for communication with those devices, uh, and those devices uh, are going to be place closer and closer to the residential homes. That was a big mind-blowing trend for me. And it's going to get even worse with PG&E filing bankruptcy. You know, they're being held accountable for the campfire in uh, in uh, California, right, wrong, or indifferent. But, uh, you know, how can a utility uh, shut down a transmission line that's providing critical services to residences? You know, that might be a... a on respirators or some kind of breathing devices in the home. So that's going to force utilities to provide uh, localized generation closer to um, closer to uh, the edge. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was kind of an interesting aha moment for me um, because uh, that's going to drive some of my activities. Cool. I <clears throat> want to take a minute here and let's let's transition. <clears throat> we talked a lot about. <clears throat> Two topics that our guest today knows a lot about. Um, one is autonomy, two is smart cities. So um, I want to introduce Mina Sartipi. She is a professor at UT Chattanooga. Um, not only does she know a lot about autonomous vehicles, which we're going to talk a little bit about, but um, Mina also has a smart cities lab um, in downtown Chattanooga. So um, Mina, thank you very much for joining us. 
So thank you for having me. Wanted to give you, uh, that was a, uh, a very short introduction. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about everything you do, you do a lot of stuff. You know, we're certainly interested to learn about um, your experiences and what you're working on. And then um, see if Brian and I can start a little discussion about um, autonomy with you. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm, uh, my name is Mina Tartiti. I'm a faculty of computer science at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, UTC, as you said. And also I, I'm a um, founding director of the Center for Urban Informatics and Progress. That's a new center that was established this past summer that we basically work on urban challenges. And the goal of the center is to make the center accessible uh, and um, for all and work on urban challenges in a way that everybody is considered for those solutions, that the solutions that we are proposing is going to be something that everyone can use. And uh, we work in mobility, energy, and health, which I will be talking more about mobility, obviously, today because of uh, the interest of your podcast. Um, we have been, uh, in terms of mobility, we have been working on um, connected autonomous vehicles for uh, several years now, and also we are, in terms of connected autonomous vehicle, um, many of the things that you and Brian just mentioned, that how are we, can we use the data that we can get in real time from IoT devices and also the historical data to enhance drivers' awareness by getting the information from the infrastructure, also being uh, being able to alert the vehicles about their surrounding. How can we have like the holistic view of the surrounding of the vehicle when they are passing through an area? Some of the technologies we are working on can also be uh, um, applied to vehicles that are not necessarily autonomous, uh, but it's like a hybrid case of getting there as long as they have that connectivity, the 5G or GSRC, that they can be connected to the infrastructure and other vehicles. And you also mentioned about the testbed uh, that we have in downtown Chattanooga. We just uh, finished about a mile and a half long corridor that it, uh, in the, it starts from downtown area, continues to UTC campus. Um, and we have equipped 16 poles on this street with different types of IoT devices and also edge computing and wireless communication capabilities. And the goal is to understand basically what is going on in this urban environment. The reason we chose that specific street is because we had car share, bike share, electric vehicle uh, charging stations, bike lane, central lane, transit. So it was kind of like a small version of an urban environment that we could really understand, like, where are people? How are they using any of these facilities? How's the traffic flow? How's the air quality? And uh, where are the near misses happening? Because it is uh, an urban environment. It is close to campus. So there's a lot of activity going on there. And we are using that testbed for um, some of our projects as well. Interesting. So, Mina, a um, couple questions. So what is your perspective on autonomous vehicles and V2X communications. That seems to be getting quite a bit of traction, uh, e either written up in the IEEE or or um, through private company investments like uh, with Tesla and autonomous um, or autopilot mode. What is your perspective? When will we actually start to see something uh, come about in the market? What's the maturity of the technology? You know, where I can, you know, actually see a couple cars ahead of me or something like that. 
you know, like, for example, one of the projects that we are working on, which we call it see-through, is what if you can see through the car in front of you, which is a fairly simple concept. It's just all it needs is the connectivity of you with the car in front of you or infrastructure in you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, um, I think a lot of companies are developing, many companies, many cars by 2020 are going to come out with the communication capability. One of the things I'm seeing is I have been in meetings, and I was at TRB uh, meeting last week. We still don't, I mean, the car companies are, have still have not agreed on DSRC or 5G. And I mm-hmm. think we really need to make that a standard so then, you know, moving forward, we know what we would need, you know, in putting on top in the infrastructure. For example, because the technology, for part of it is there. Maybe um, not. We're not completely there in terms of if we have hundreds of these cars there that we want to communicate all at the same time. Maybe uh, so. It, it, there are. I mean, there are solutions there. There are like to, um, in in theory, a lot of it there have been solved. But like really, when we bring it on to an urban environment that you have now hundreds of cars around that they all want to communicate with each other, communicate with infrastructure. You know, how are we going to be making sure that the technology that finally the car companies agreed on to be a standard, um, you know, would be capable of doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah. Interesting. So, like, are we, uh, is the automo- the paradigm of the automotive innovation cycle where, um, yeah, previously, the innovation cycle was about three years. Is is that paradigm still valid? Um, like, are we looking, if we're seeing automotive adoption for the uh, 5G standard has not occurred, are we looking at 2023? Or do you think the innovation cycle has tightened up, it's gotten faster, there's third-party entrants that can provide these these retrofits for uh, for automotive manufacturers as well as aftermarket applications. Like what's your you know, perspective? I think the fact that some uh, now there are some more of a startup type of companies are leading some of these efforts, and then we have some companies that are more traditional. You mm-hmm. know, and I think we can see that. So you mentioned Tesla, probably the fact that they were going to have this technology probably faster than some of the companies because it's just adoption rate is much higher there, and they can um, adopt some of these and test it faster than others. So I think it's just going to be a different, and that's that's my opinion, that there's going to be a different uh, entrance here for all all of these companies. They're just going to be entering the market at a different rate, at a different rate. To even like deciding, and I, you can see that, like you know, because I'm not going to mention any company, but uh, per se, but like I was in a company that I was at a talk that the CEO of one company mentioned, no, DSRC is the way we are going to go, and that's what's going to be on our cars, you know. And then a lot of companies are talking about five G. I think I think so the hard that, I think the hard hold part on. I have one more okay, I have one ahead, more naggy question I've got one more <laughs> naggy question because um, you know we I was talking about five um, G and vehicle to vehicle communication so Mina how do you see the vehicle to smart city infrastructure communication playing out like is it are the vehicles going to talk a a industry standard protocol to some kind of uh open standards database that the city might build or subscribe to uh what is the latest thinking um you know with the actual communication of the vehicle to the city that they that that vehicle might be driving in or driving through you know, and, and w- yeah. so one of the things that uh, we are working on now is uh, 
and I think it's relevant to what you're asking me is, so we are having uh, several of these polls, assuming that they're all connected. They have some type of connectivity, right? And you're, the, the car is driving through that. So you are connected to one of the polls, and you are um, just sharing, the, they are sharing the information for you. They have your trajectory um, potentially and making sure that you are connected. And then you are leaving the coverage area for that poll and entering another poll. That poll can be in another city per se, another state. You know, it's just so there's a lot of things that we have to think about, like the migration, for example. And a lot of times we need to do computation on the polls at the edge, right? Because mm-hmm. not every car would come with the NVIDIA to do all the processing on board. And also, you know, in, uh, in mobility, sometimes cloud might be too late, depending on what type of applications you're, you're using it for. So there is a lot of these details that are still being worked on that um, how would this transition from one pole to another pole would happen. Right. It's the communication. It's not just like computation would also be carried over, how much of it would stay there, how much of it would be migrate to the other one. And, you know, it's like, um, and for example, in terms of even like platooning, when we are to, that's a perfect case of connectivity, and some states allow it, some states don't allow it. So you're passing through one state to another, and then all of a sudden you're not allowed to do that. So there's, a, I think, in terms of making it really a nationwide um, system that would be working, we're not there yet. For sure we're not there. That smells like a business opportunity, Steve. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Mina, Mina brings up a good point, right, because – when you look at DSRC, yes, the spectrum has been allocated and has been there for a while, right? But it's not like there's this huge infrastructure of DSR, DSRC equipment that is installed nationwide, right? On the other hand, right, there's also not a vast installation of 5G anywhere either, right? So you almost essentially have, even though DSRC has been talked about for a much longer time, you've got these two technologies both kind of ready to be deployed, right, from a hardware standpoint. Deploying both of them doesn't make a lot of economic sense for anyone, right? So um, unfortunately, you come back to that, the, the, the buzzword of standards, right? And um, certainly when you have competing car manufacturers, you know, competing companies and any part of the smart city infrastructure, right? I think coming up with a standard is probably going to be one of the biggest challenges that's out there. So, um, Mina, one of the things we like to talk about with our guest is to get an idea from your perspective, right? You're you're heavily involved in smart cities. You're you're certainly doing a lot of research and a lot of work around autonomous vehicles. You know, we'd like to to find out, you know, what do you see as the stumbling blocks or the new technologies that are really going to help those areas grow over the next couple of years? So I think, uh, you know, like the basically you just mentioned that the uh, communication capability is the very first thing that needs to be addressed. So then we can all like, you know, work on the same platform, same t- same standard that we can work on. And the other thing is, uh, the edge computing, I really see edge computing being um, one of the frontiers of this area because of the, you know, it can be done things, it can be cheaper, it can be faster, it can be closer. So how can we deal with the, with the edge computing? Because we are also like thinking about, you cannot, yes, you can have a cloud which is much more capable. If you have the edge, now you don't have all that computation capability. What is the trade-off there and how are you going to be assigning different tasks? 
based on what really needs to be done there and uh, and uh, and not. And the other thing that um, it's also that you're talking about machine learning, AI, um, you know, this, a lot of advancement has been happening. We're using these uh, technologies in, in many applications. And I think a lot of things need still to be done with respect to both ethics in that, in, in that area and also privacy and security. Well, certainly, <clears throat> those, are, those are all great points, Mina. I think that we value... You know, a lot of the work you've done in these areas and, um, you know, we've had a chance to meet a couple of times and, you know, certainly um, I'm always impressed at um, the the stuff that you're seeing down the road that necessarily a lot of us aren't seeing. So, um, first of all, thank you very much for joining us today. And for uh, anyone listening, Brian and I are going to uh, ensure we get back on a regular scheduled program here. You know, we've had some work stuff and some holidays, but um, certainly appreciate everyone listening. Brian, any any closing comments? Uh, no, no closing comments other than I will be in uh, New Orleans for Distributech coming up in a couple weeks, so a large industry trade show, and you'll start to see um, I'll be – uh, attending similar events like that throughout the year. So if you guys, any of our frequency IoT listeners want to do a meetup, I am there. Perfect. Well, we appreciate everyone listening and uh, look forward to putting together some interesting topics for our next uh, recording. Talk to you soon.